welcome back as we continue on into the 5 o'clock hour. Jimmy B and TC on 1700 KBGG. And as we do seemingly each and every week, Zuba Mahente stops by. Always glad when we can get a few moments with him. And Zubin, you were telling me a little bit earlier, you got a busy one, a late night tonight with SportsCenter on ESPN. And you're going to have a lot of fun baseball to talk about this evening. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, this race is unbelievable. I mean, I don't want to go to the cliche sports anchor, but I've been doing it for, I don't know, 18 years, so I'll go back to it just for a minute. (laughs) I mean, it is a wild National League wild card race. Um, We were checking this out the other day. Take a look at this one, just for one example, um, and how weird I think baseball can sometimes be, but in 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 a fascinating way. The Rockies. So the Rockies are right there. They're trying to maybe win the division, which doesn't seem like the greatest spot right now, and they're trying to get into the wild card. This is their 25th year of existence. If the Rockies win out, they will finish with 92 wins. They have never finished with more. Never. Hmm. They have their, and they could miss the playoffs. Think about that. Wow. If they win out, they've got Philadelphia and Washington. Now, granted, obviously, you know, they're, they're small sample size, 25 years relative to somebody like the Cubs, right, who go back to so you had to wait for the 08 drought and the Red Sox 18 drought. It's a little bit different, and obviously things are different because baseball added the wild card. And then I think it was in 2012, if I'm not mistaken, they added the second wild card, if I'm not mistaken. It was 2012. Um, but the idea that if they win out and they're facing teams that don't have a ton to play for, Philadelphia and Washington, um, that if they finish with 92 victories, that's a, they could honestly wake up Monday morning and say, no Rockies team ever, including the one that went to the World Series, has ever done better, including the one that drew 4 million fans. No one has ever done better, and we might miss the playoffs as a result. Now, obviously, like I said, the baseball playoff field has been expanded, but that's just one fascinating story. And then, obviously, you've got like, teams that aren't even going to make the playoffs, trying like Washington with Scherzer, 300 yeah. strikeouts, amazing story. Clearly best pitcher in baseball, in my opinion. I know some sales fans will get in there. Uh, what's Bryce Harper going to do? Um, I mean, that's a team that has no playoff ambitions, aspirations, and they might have two of the most interesting guys in the sport. So, yeah, it's going to have to be a crazy finish here until Sunday. I believe ESPN is a National League wildcard game on Tuesday. Obviously still waiting to see who's going to be in that. AL wildcard game, I think, is Wednesday. And then we're raring to go. And you didn't even mention the best pitcher in the National League, Jacob DeGrom, who will win oh, the Cy yeah. Young. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, the wins, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, right. We've obviously gotten to a point now, as you know, mm-hmm. in football, when you were on the radio, when you first started doing the radio, I bet you would just, you know, come on in terms of football and talk about passer rating yep. or completion percentage. And now it's PFF, mm-hmm. right? It's pro football focus. Hey, what's the PFF guy say? Mm-hmm. And in baseball, it's the same corollary trend. Nobody cares about the wins. I mean, people care about the wins, but people care more about your whip, your OPS if you're a batter. Um, people in the NBA care more about PER, which is player efficiency rating, uh, per 48 minutes than they do about any of your conventional stats. So I think for DeGrom, while I think he's been absolutely lights out, I mean totally lights out, I think there's been a philosophical shift in the way that we absorb numbers, not just look at numbers. I mean, I think when Bob Welch won 27 games, I think you've got to kind of give him the Cy Young. Right. <laughs> I don't care how good of an <laughs> offense he had. Like, I think 27 wins is the Cy Young. But now you look at it and say, yeah, we got all these numbers, but what are we going to do with them, and how are we going to look at them? And it's not just Moneyball. I mean, that kind of started it, but that's just a baseball thing. 
in every sport now, there are hidden yards, hidden stats, all this stuff. And DeGrom, to his credit, and I'm giving him 100% credit, is the latest beneficiary of us looking at its numbers and not just looking at them surface level. It's a different era and uh, a better way to to talk deeper about the game and move past you know, some of the old cliches that are out there, but you can certainly look at the game in a different way, and, and I love it. I'm not completely ingrained into it. I, I think there are more factors than just you know, what a computer can spit out and the numbers that are out there, and that's what makes sports so much fun and, and such a great conversation. And, and with the Cubs, uh, you know, people are there's a lot of hand-wringing happening around here with the Cub fans, Zubin. If they would fall apart here, their final five games, one more tonight against Pittsburgh and then the final four against St. Louis, there's an opportunity that they could miss the playoffs. Would Joe Madden be in trouble if that happens? I don't think so, but I, you guys talk about the Cubs way more. I mean, I'll admit if we do some highlights, we kind of keep an eye on them, the Brewers, the Cardinals. Unfortunately, we follow some of the off-field stuff with Addison Russell, yeah. but I'm not going to sit here at all and pretend like I follow the Cubs as close as you guys do. But just from a macro perspective, I just can't see it. I wouldn't label it a collapse because I think the other two teams are playing outstanding baseball. And we've been just uh, discussing here, kicking around the possibility here of if you had a manager of the year vote, would you give a second place vote to Mike Schilt? I think (laughs) Sitker has probably earned it in the National League. I think he's earned it. But I wouldn't at all hesitate to give a second place vote to Schilt, which is amazing because, what, Trent, I think he took over in July, and everybody said, ah, well, they're not making the playoffs this year, and he's done some great things. I think Council, under the radar, has been doing a great job for a long time, and I also think the Brewers had a really good offseason. Nobody talked about their offseason because everybody was obsessed with Giancarlo Stanton going to the Yankees and, you know, McCutcheon and Longoria. There's some big moves, but quietly the Brewers maybe had maybe the most impactful offseason of anyone, it's council's job to make it work. I would vote. You know, I have a guy here, my boss here, is as big of a baseball fan as you'll find. He lives here in Connecticut, goes to about 40 Phillies games a year at home from here in Connecticut, and then goes on the road for another bunch of games. I mean, he's a fanatic, no pun intended. He loves the team. And he told me he follows baseball as close as anyone I know. And he told me he would straight up vote for Kevin Cash for American League Manager of the Year. And the more you look at it, the more you look at it and say, yeah, yeah. I definitely think that's a good call. So I think you look at a couple of guys that are off the beaten path and you say it's Nitker, you say it's Cash, and then you round back into a guy like Madden and you say, yeah, it's a tough last week. It's been a last tough, tough last couple weeks. But I think there is something to be said for the equity of what they've done in 2016. There was no missing the playoffs in 2017. Um, so that's something, obviously, Cup fans have waited forever for a World Series, followed by another round of the playoffs. Obviously, the expectations have changed tremendously. It's not just the same old Cubs situation. But I think in, in order to sort of say Madden has slipped and maybe they didn't manage as well down the stretch, I think you have to kind of look around and look at the other managers in baseball and say, is he really doing that poor of a job, which I, don't th- I think the answer to that is no. Or the other guys just really rounding into form. I don't think people expected this out of Schilt. Council's super quiet. And like I said, the other skippers I kind of mentioned that they're going to get their due in another capacity in Snitker and cash. So while it would certainly be disappointing, I can't imagine that there would be anything happening in the dugout. I think Madden would be totally fine. And honestly, I think he would probably have to tip his cap to Schilt and Council. And he would never say this, but maybe saying it through grit teeth. Trent, you know, Rizzo has had a pickup in the second half of the season, but he hasn't had a great season by his standards. 
Chris Bryant hasn't been healthy, and I don't think you can really trust a lot of guys in their rotation. And if those three things are the case, your two best offensive players are having atypically low years, and you're not really that thrilled about your starting rotation, including your big offseason acquisition has been shut down for the year. I don't care how good of a manager you are. You're not going to be able to make that work. And Bob Melvin with the A's in that story uh, with the payroll oh. that they have and cobbled together. You look at the names on there, and they're names that you know, and you know them as, frankly, not very good Major League Baseball players. And here they are on their way to the wild card game and uh, getting their shot against the Yankees coming up early next week. Zubin, from Major League Baseball in the wild final week over to some college football you know, it's funny, just yesterday we talked with you. Uh, you also joined us uh, during a program over the, the lunch hour from noon until 2 with myself and Ken Miller, and we were talking about the transfer rules and the redshirt rules in college football. And today it goes to another level after Kelly Bryant says that he is going to transfer from Clemson, a guy that did very good things at Clemson, but there's a young gun out there. And, and suddenly with that, it seems like college football, as we're watching it, it's evolving in a big way. The Kelly Bryant thing is fascinating because with all due respect to McCleskey and a couple of the other guys, McCleskey was actually a very good player, the guy that transferred uh, from Oklahoma State with the redshirt rule. This is different because I think most college football fans would say, oh, yeah, Kelly Bryant, the quarterback of Clemson. And this is sort of a different situation because now you turn around, you put his name in the headline versus – Virginia Tech player, Oklahoma State player. It's still interesting, but this takes it to a whole new level because everybody can understand what this guy's about, what this guy's done. I see two things, Trent, in my opinion. One, I sympathize with Kelly Bryant. I watched that Texas A&M game. If he doesn't play in that Texas A&M game, just my opinion, they lose it. Um, if if Dabo keeps doing the one series for Bryant, one series for Lawrence, you notice in the second half of that game, Last six series, last six series, as Texas A&M was marching down the field and Mond was coming alive, it was all Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant was great. Now, granted, Trevor Lawrence came in, first pass, 64-yard touchdown pass, T. Higgins, he's explosive. He had four touchdowns last week against Georgia Tech. But to me, Kelly Bryant, Dabo Sweeney said, without saying, in the fourth quarter of that game in week two in front of that sort of crowd, in that sort of non-conference game, early season litmus test, here I go, meeting Jimbo again. Trevor Lawrence did not trot out into the field at all in the fourth quarter when the game really mattered. Last six series, all Kelly Bryant. And I think Kelly Bryant understands that they would be probably not perfect record-wise without him. Secondarily, if you look at their schedule, people said their toughest remaining game is Boston College, and then Boston College has sort of fallen off the map a little bit here. I think it's very fair to say that if one or both guys stay healthy, uh, that Clemson is probably going to finish the regular season undefeated, probably going to win the ACC title game handily, and then go to the college football playoff. And I think Kelly Bryant sits there and thinks to himself, you've got to be kidding me here. I waited for two years. Dabo preaches loyalty. I wasn't going to play in front of Deshaun Watson, obviously. But remember, Deshaun Watson had to wait a minute before he played in front of Cole Stout, which may sound a little amazing, but that's what Dabo's about. I waited. I led us. Our one regular season loss last year to Syracuse, I got hurt. Hmm, we lost that game. The one game I got hurt and we couldn't pick up my slack. Okay. Then we go to the college football playoff and I run into a juggernaut that is Alabama. So you're telling me I wait two years, take us to the playoff, and within the half a season the next year I'm gone? No way. That's not right. And I think Dabo looks at it and says, yeah, you could probably get us to an undefeated regular season, win the ACC title game. You probably have that ability. 
But I think Trevor's got that ability, too, because the schedule doesn't look very daunting down the rest of the way for us. And I know what you did last year against Alabama. You couldn't get us over the top. This is a much stronger Alabama team than that team. And I don't know if Trevor Lawrence can get us over the top, but I kind of think he feels without saying, Trent, that Kelly can get us there. I don't know if he can get us all the way there, right? He can get us there. I don't know if he can get us over the top. I knew Deshaun could get us over the top uh, because he did it, and he almost did it twice. And I think he looks at Lawrence and says, upside on this kid is amazing. Yes, he hasn't done as much as uh, Kelly has, but again, this is obviously his first full year, and he continues to pass every test with flying colors. So I sympathize with Kelly Bryant because I think he knows that once you get to the playoff, anything can happen. Nobody thought Ohio State was going to win the first playoff. They won it. And I think Kelly Bryant feels like, I know I could get us as far as Trevor Lawrence, but Coach doesn't believe I can get us over the top like Trevor Lawrence. And Trevor Lawrence is a guy that hasn't really faced any adversity yet, and Coach is picking him over me. So the idea that he was just going to get up and leave, I mean, that's unbelievable. But uh, it's a sign of today's times. I wouldn't choose the path Kelly Bryant has chosen, but I 100% understand why he is ticked and steamed. No doubt. And uh, somebody's going to be getting themselves a pretty good quarterback to begin 2019, but that is a look ahead. Before that, a lot more to come, including a great weekend, two top 10 matchups, Ohio State. They make their way to Penn State and the whiteout. We have Notre Dame hosting Stanford this weekend. Here we go, Zubin. I mean, college football, it's, it's been going on for a month. Feels like we're really getting started, though, this week. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, to me, it's the underrated part of this. Everybody counted Michigan out after that loss to Notre Dame. I think Michigan's playing really good football. They're going to have some chances here. I think they're back to 14th, which is exactly where they were when the season started. So in some ways, quote-unquote, it's not like the Notre Dame loss has hurt them that drastically. If that ends up being their only regular season loss, they'll be just fine. Obviously, they still have Penn State and Ohio State out there, but I think they're playing well. Notre Dame, you know, Brian Kelly's got a lot of criticism over the years, but I think this was a brilliant quarterback switch. You know, Ian Book led them to their bowl win last year. Wimbush is super talented, man. He is, but they just don't seem as put together as when Book is out there. And the idea that Book kind of started out of nowhere, I don't think anybody saw that coming. And the way that he's played has been great. I think Notre Dame looks at this game and says, yeah, Stanford's tough. Stanford's undefeated. We see Stanford every year. They have Bryce Love. But let's be honest, if Oregon just would have played a conservative, then uh, Stanford doesn't win that game in overtime. Mm -hmm. And I think they know that they can go toe-to-toe with Stanford because I think they know, all things considered, Stanford should probably not be coming in undefeated. They are, but they probably shouldn't be. And I think Notre Dame knows this is a big spot and Stanford could be had. You can slow down Bryce Love. San Diego State did it in week one when he had, I think, 29 yards rushing. I think they feel good under the lights, prime time, ready to go, a QB that I think Kelly really probably wanted to play earlier but couldn't, and now clearly he looks like the guy. As for Ohio State and Penn State, I think it's very fair. I don't know if you agree, Trent. I think this is by far the best quarterback, and I'm not taking anything away from JT Barrett, who if you look at all the Big Ten records, um, and I'm not taking anything away from some of the other guys, in my opinion, this is the best, most talented quarterback Urban Meyer has had at Ohio State, this kid Haskins, and I would not right now rule out in terms of pro potential, because I think obviously Tebow is the best quarterback he's had, period, in the college game. But I think if you extrapolate if Haskins could stay healthy and accomplishes his potential, whatever that might be, he might be the best quarterback that Urban Meyer's ever had 
at any level. And that would obviously include Alex Smith and Chris Leak and Barrett and Cardell Jones and Braxton Miller and all these other guys that he's had. I think Haskins is that good. I think if you look at Tua's numbers, people are just going gaga over those numbers. I think Dwayne Haskins' numbers are right there. The Bosa injury is a huge blow because it looks like it's going to be at least until November. But to me, um, while I think Haskins is a huge story, let me ask you this, Trent. You follow the Big Ten as close as anybody. I love the Haskins story. Um, I love that Bosa is being recognized for being the type of player he is, and sometimes you only realize that when the player is out, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I would tell you, to me, the most underappreciated player, I was talking to, I don't know if you know Gene Wojciechowski. He's yes, one of our reporters. Yeah. And this week, yeah, Gene, yeah, I talked to him. I was speaking to him. We were emailing each other on Monday. And this week, uh, his story is going to be, last week he had a great story, 40th anniversary of Animal House in Oregon, where he rolled out there in the toga. Uh, yes. That's what YouTube's for. You want to go watch it. It was great. This week, he's going to go sit down with um, Trace McSorley, because we were just chatting over email. And I said, you know, uh, he seemed to agree with me, and he already had the story in the works, so it was good to get some validation. But we both seem to come to the opinion, and I don't know if you concur, we both seem to come to the opinion that this is the most underrated player, an underappreciated player in college football. He's won the Big Ten title. He's won a New Year's Six games. He won three high school state championships. I think they made it to the final of the other game and didn't win. And all people want to talk about is he doesn't have Saquon Barkley. He doesn't have Moorhead. I think I heard Joel Klatt say this this morning. I'm a big fan of Joel Klatt. I used to work with him in Denver. He said something like, Trace McSorley has never lost a game at home as a starter. Pretty impressive considering they play in the Big Ten East. And he called him Baker Mayfield light. He called him like Diet Baker Mayfield, which I think is kind of an interesting way to look at it. Undersized, gritty, and just a winner. Now, Baker tends up getting a lot of attention. The one key difference is Baker, Baker has the, the spotlight on him, and I don't think McSorley ever has because of Barkley and how charismatic Franklin is and obviously uh, how great Moorhead was and how he's able to you know, roll that into an FCC job. So to me, uh, it's fascinating to watch Haskins. It's fascinating to see what they can do without Bosa. But really the guy to me to keep an eye on in this game is Trace McSorley because um, the only thing missing, Trent, from his resume, let's be honest, what we just ran through, the only thing missing from his resume is a college football playoff. Yep. Right? I mean, that's it. Mm-hmm. He's done everything else. I mean, if, you're, if, you know, if he did for Penn State, what he did for Penn State, if he did that for Iowa, he would be Iowa's greatest quarterback of all time. Yep. Right? I mean, yeah. He honestly would. He'd be right up there with Long and, and Brad, and I know Brad had a short run, but I think it's probably time or high time that this guy probably gets some attention. Yeah, I mean, Ricky Stanzi celebrated because he won three bowl games, but he won, what, an Orange Bowl and an Insight Bowl, and I, I can't even remember the other one offhand. But McSorley took his team to a Rose Bowl the first year as a starter, won the Fiesta Bowl last year against Washington, and if they get a win, certainly the inside track of playing in a Big Ten championship and making their way to the college football playoff. And, you know, when I think of McSorley, I, I think about ability to get outside the pocket, like Baker Mayfield, undersized, like you said, maybe a little bit loose with the football. But as you were talking, I looked up his numbers. He's thrown 67 touchdowns against 20 picks. So maybe not even as loose with the football as, as kind of sticks in my mind. And here's the other thing. First of all, Ricky also loved America. So you yes. got to give him some credit. He that, loves helps. America, that helps. That right? helps. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the one thing about Trace, though, I would tell you, not to bring up any bad memories here, but obviously you remember the walk-off touchdown last year. Mm-hmm. He's kind of just like a gunslinger sort of guy. Like, he's a kind of guy, like even this year's game against Appalachian State, should they have gotten in that situation? Right. Probably not. But they had a guy that could dig them out of it. And that's important, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a game you want to be able to go to overtime with. But it's like, all right, look, we got Trace. 
Miles Sanders has been very good replacing Saquon Barkley, but we need a guy that stood in the pocket, made some big throws, and can win us this game. Um, because if we wake up tomorrow, we're going to be out of the college football playoff chase, and I don't care what happens the rest of the season. We could win the Big Ten, and we could go to the Big Ten championship game. But, man, we're going to be left out of the playoff because on the first week of the season, we fell asleep. And McSorley would probably ne- never let himself go on that because it's his last ride, right? Your last ride, your first week, your last chance to make an impression on the college football world, and it blows up in week one. I mean, what are you working your whole career in the offseason for? You want to let it slip away in the Big Ten title game against Ohio State? I mean, excuse me, well, not Ohio State. You let it slip away in the Big Ten title game against Wisconsin or whoever else comes out of the West, of course, with them being in the East. That's one thing. That's in December. You can't let it slip away on the first Saturday of September, September 1. So he rallied them there. He rallied them with that great touchdown throw last year to quiet Kinnick Stadium. So you're right. The 67 to 20 is great, but it's what he's able to do late. It's the same reason, and I don't watch enough Washington football to know this, but I am constantly stunned, Trent, with the amount of people that don't think Jake Browning is that good. Like, if you talk to a lot of Washington fans here, out here that, you know, because at ESPN, there's people that work from, that live and have grown up everywhere. You talk to everybody. And there's just a ton of people. I'm like, are you kidding me? This guy took you to the college football playoff. This guy took you to a New Year's Six Bowl last year. I mean, he's kind of done what Trace McSorley's done. It's probably been a little bit better considering he's got to the playoffs. And there are so many people that are like, Ed, look at that Auburn game. You know, <laughs> when we need to make a play of the fourth, what happened? And so it's amazing because I think Trace has been that sort of guy that has been able to make those plays in the fourth. He's been able to step up and do what's needed, whereas a lot of other guys that are compared to him, whether it's Browning, whether it's some of these other guys, um, it'll be interesting to see what his legacy is. Remember, if I'm not mistaken, Trent, since Kerry Collins, I think I busted this stat out on your show, and I think you guys have talked about it. Since Kerry Collins was drafted, ironically, or coincidentally, I guess in this case, out of Penn State, the Big Ten has not had a quarterback drafted in the first round of the draft. Now, you would look at it and say, and McSorley, to your point, he's a little small. I don't know if he could go first round. But remember, a couple years ago, they were saying the same thing about Baker Mayfield, right? And when Haskins gets eligible, he looks like he's got the NFL body, the rocket arm, the prototype mm-hmm. NFL passer that they're looking for with a little bit of an ability to run. But it'll be interesting to see if McSorley, if he can truly open some eyes, or Haskins down the road, who will be able to, who is the quarterback that will be able to solve that riddle and become the first, first round Big Ten quarterback selected? Can you believe this since Kerry Collins? Crazy to think. Crazy to think. Zubin, we are out of time. We'll let you get back to work, get ready for the big night in baseball this evening. Thanks, as always, for your time. I'll see you next week, friend. Thanks. Zubin Mahente from ESPN, and you'll watch him tonight on SportsCenter. Quick timeout coming back on the other side. Jimmy B stops by as we take you up until 6 o'clock. Back with more in a moment. We continue on taking you up until 6 o'clock. It's Jimmy B and TC on 1700 KBGG. And Jimmy B is here with us for this segment. Mr. Brinson, what's happening, my man? It's uh, it's another night for baseball in the sports world. We'll get football back t- tomorrow with, of course, the Rams and Vikings. You and yes. I plays Indiana State. We'll have the coverage of those games here on 1700. But baseball getting a, getting a little sticky here the final five days of the regular season. Look, this is what we wanted. I mean, as, as baseball fans, I hate it when a team runs away and hides like 
say, Cleveland has, like Boston did, uh, the Astros have clinched. This is this is fun. I mean, this is what it's supposed to be. You play 162, and what do they got? Four or five games left. That's it. So now you're the Chicago Cubs, a team that fans thought, Cubs fans thought, we're just going to roll everybody, and they are fighting for their lives. And, Trent, they have picked a bad time to struggle at the plate. They have picked a bad time for their pitchers not to be at their best. And here come the Milwaukee Brewers. Look, you liked this Brewer team. I remember you talking about it from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And you felt that Milwaukee was going to be in this thing. And, you know, we talk to people all the time, and they kept saying, well, we're just waiting for Milwaukee to go away. Maybe the Cardinals will be the team. No, you are absolutely correct. It is the Milwaukee Brewers. And what about this? What if the Brewers win the division – and the Cubs are the wild card. Or worse yet, what if they continue to fail, Colorado and the L.A. Dodgers continue to win, and the Cubs don't even make the wild card? There is that possibility if it keeps going south here, and with five games remaining on the side for the Cubs, they, they lose out. 91 and, and 91 and 71 would be their record. You're right, the Dodgers, the Rockies... Even the Cardinals could pass them, and uh, of mm-hmm. course the Brewers along with it taking the division, and they could be home. I, if that happens, yeah, could could Madden be in trouble? I I don't personally. I don't think so. But right, yeah. With he does some funky things. And remember Joe Girardi's out there. I know that's the apple of some Cubs fans' eye. I don't get it, but but there are some people that have that. I don't see Jed and Theo making a move like that. But you know it's at least going to be a conversation piece. We'll get ahead of the conversation, Jimmy B. That's what I like to be. Be first on something. If that would happen, you know the columns would be out there. You know Sports Radio Chicago would be talking about it. Should sure. they fire Joe Madden? Uh, no. No, because Joe Madden doesn't pitch, and he doesn't hit. Well, then they should never and... fire managers. Well, no, that's not the case. That's not the case. He's had this team at the top or close to the top the entire year. So it's not you can, but that you can would only be a collapse. Some, that would be it, it would be a collapse. collapse. Yes, it would be a collapse. That is correct. If they don't get in, it would be a major collapse. Or if they get in as a wild card and get beat right. in that opening wild card game, that is a definite collapse. I, I, I'm sure that people would be going crazy uh, in Chicago. They would be, and Cubs fans everywhere would be screaming for something to take place. But it, it's not that. I, I get what you said. He does do some. You like to call it funky things in baseball. Sometimes it works, Trent. Other times, not so much. But they have had injuries here recently. The bats have gone quiet, except for maybe a home run here or there. And the pitching, all of a sudden, is, like, really shaky. So, ah, God, it, 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 it would be an epic collapse. You're correct in that asp- in that standpoint. I don't know, though, if I would dump Madden. No, and I don't think they will, but it will change the perception going into 2019 if this would happen, it's still a huge stretch yes. for, for the Cubs to to lose out and get overtaken and don't even make the playoffs or 
or make it as a wild card. The Brewers get the division and lose in that opening game. I'm with you. I don't think he's fired. But the pressure is on then in 2019. This has been a disjointed, uneven year. They still have the best record in the National League saying all that, but they weren't the super team that many people anticipated. Injuries are a part of that. The injury to you, Darvish, what they've had to do with the staff. The bullpen has been in and out, throwing a bunch of different guys. Chris Bryant, an MVP-level guy when healthy, has been anything but that because of injuries this season. You go on and on and on. Here lately, now you have the Addison Russell uh, a, a domestic assault deal happening. Right. It just there, There's so much still underneath the surface, but it would change from Madden, the guy that brought a World Series to Chicago, to Madden, your most recent memory is the guy that collapsed in 2018. If that's the case, I, I just think the mood and the feeling going to be a lot different going into 2019 and the pressure that'll be on Madden in 2019. But I'm with you. I don't think he is there. So do they bounce back tonight? I mean, the bats have gone so cold. We won't see Chris Bryant speaking to him as he's injured again after taking a pitch Mm -hmm. off his wrist last night. Do they at least get going one final time against the Pirates before they finish up with the Cardinals in the four games? You would think so. I mean, you would think that this would be a a bounce back for them. I don't mind they're playing A, a team that is going nowhere. In, in Pittsburgh, I mean, they're not a bad team, but they're not a, a, as good a team uh, player-wise as Chicago. Yet it, it just seems that they just can't get out of their own way, meaning the Cubs. So I would think they would bounce back. But, Trent, I'm not going to be shocked. I'm not going to be shocked if the Pirates win again tonight. I, I won't be. And, and with what Milwaukee has done so far, I mean, look, they are on fire. All of a sudden, absolutely rolling, and the same with Colorado. They're they're just rolling right now too. So this is this is going to be fun. I mean, there's there, there's not anything on tonight, with the exception of, of Major League Baseball, and there are some extremely important tap tonight that people in the Midwest should be paying close attention to. Going to be a good night in the world of baseball. Over to some football tomorrow night. We'll get going again with the football scene. Vikings and the Rams. And wanted to get your perspective, Jim, on what's happening with Minnesota with Everson Griffin told a week ago to stay away from the football facility, then allegedly breaking into his teammate Trey Wayne's home. Just an odd situation. Now you can understand how they lose to Buffalo because it's not a guy getting popped for having weed in the system. It's not a guy getting picked up, you know, drunk and disorderly. This is something much deeper than that with Everson Griffin and told to stay away from the facility. You could understand why the Vikings didn't look like their heads were in the game Sunday against the Bills. No, they they were not even there. I think they were under the impression that we'll just get off the bus, walk onto the field, fans will go nuts, and the Bills will crumble. And they didn't do that. People have to remember that even the worst teams, like Buffalo and Arizona, Teams that are really struggling, still they pay those guys a lot of money to show up and play every Sunday. There's a lot of pride, even if you're on a lousy team, within a player when he's wearing that professional jersey. Whether if it's NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, it doesn't matter. That pride factor really kicks in. It did kick in for the Buffalo Bills and for the Minnesota Vikings. They were just sleepwalking. It was a deplorable performance by the Vikings. I want to see how this translates into tomorrow night's game. 
I mean, this is a terrific matchup. I, I can't wait for Thursday night. If, Trent, don't you don't doesn't it sound funny? Where before we'd be moaning the fact, oh man, Thursday, it's a garbage game. Nobody mm-hmm. cares about it. And we can't wait now for tomorrow night. They got a good one. And Fox paid a lot of money to get the rights to they these did. Thursday games. Their first one, an excellent one. I think top to bottom, one through forty-five of the active roster. I think the Vikings and Rams have the two best rosters, even better than the Eagles, certainly better than the Chiefs, even though the Chiefs are off. Talking about just the depth of what these teams have roster-wise, I love both of these squads. I think this is a good thing, though, for Minnesota. A, the quick turnaround, get the bitter taste of that awful loss to Buffalo out of your mouth, coupled with you're going on the uh, on the road, you're getting away from everything, Heading out to L.A., you're taking on an excellent team that's looked unbelievably good in their 3-0 start, so you know you're going to be properly motivated. Head's going to be screwed on straight because you know to have any chance in this game, you're going to have to play not a perfect football game, but you're going to have to play really well. I think the Vikings are going to show up and play certainly better than they were Sunday, and I think they're going to be in this game going into the fourth quarter. You know, The Rams, they're, they're 3-0, but they beat the Raiders, who aren't good. They beat the Cardinals, who are awful, and they beat the Chargers, who are okay at best as they're currently constructed. So, as Denny Green, you want to crown them, then crown their ass. ass. I'm not ready to go there quite yet with the Rams. Talented, no doubt, but let's slow down on the 15-1 talk here for Los Angeles. I'm with you on that. Look, every team has flaws. Uh, It's just the way that things are, and... The Rams do have some flaws. They do. They can be had. But right now, they at least what we have seen for the first three games of the season, and you're right, the competition that they have played has not been great, but they look the part where I thought Minnesota was going to look the part as well until we saw what happened when the Buffalo Bills showed up in in Minneapolis. So it's I think it's I think it's must see TV. Tomorrow night, if you're an NFL fan, whether if you're a a Viking fan or a Rams fan, you're going to watch no matter what. But if you're an NFL fan, this is pretty much must-see TV in the NFC. You know, one other component here with the Vikings and Kirk Cousins, he's got to play better than what we saw certainly in the first half where he was atrocious against Buffalo. But coupled with what's happening with the Rams and the injury situation that they're going through, Tlaib's going to be out for four to six weeks. Peter's going to try to make a go of it. I don't know how well after seeing that injury that he had and a strained right. calf for a cornerback, how good that's going to be. But you're losing suddenly your starting cornerbacks, both of them. If that turns out to be the case, and you got Adam Thielen, and you got Stephon Diggs and Kyle Rudolph and Dalvin Cook mm-hmm. back after sitting out last week, and those weapons, I think things can change in a hurry here. I'm, I'll tell you one thing, Jim. I am certainly grabbing the seven in a point, seven points. It's way Way too many, I believe, looking at strictly the numbers side of this. I'm grabbing those seven with confidence with the Vikings tomorrow night. A good game. 520 start out there, Pacific time. That might be a little bit odd. Coliseum's huge, and, and they've been doing a decent job at least getting people in there this season. Yeah. But it, that's going to be a weird environment, too. An interesting one to begin our uh, sports calendar. And what other for you, Jimmy B? Before that, and we will join that game in progress after the conclusion of our first game tomorrow night here on 1700, because before that, we got you and I playing a rare Thursday night game out at Indiana Mm -hmm. State, taking on the Sycamores. Now, normally, not a real big talker, but 
Ryan Boyle, the quarterback for Indiana State, one of two quarterbacks that they do use. So chance to see the old Dowling Catholic Maroon in action against you and I tomorrow night at 6. Hey, hey, look, anytime you get a chance to see a homeboy uh, make it, you you want to tune in. That's why I follow guys that played high school ball in the state or at least in the Des Moines area and then go on to college. And whether if they play at Iowa or Iowa State, I don't care, or you and I, I don't care. As long as they're playing someplace because they played here in Des Moines, then I want to see how they're doing. And so that is an interest to me. I hope the kid does well, and we will see how that matchup takes place. Look, I... I just thought that you and I, they were so outclassed by Iowa. Um, I, I just kind of, I, I didn't, ex- I expect them to lose. I didn't expect them to take the beating physically that they took, and they really did. So it'll be interesting to see, Trent, how you and I bounces back. I know they've had a week in between, but still, it's one of those things where, does does that come back to get you because you were so physically beaten down in a game like that? So maybe by game five or six, you're you're, you're still feeling that a little bit. I, I I don't know. I'm asking your thought on that. Well, they bounced back and won forty four nothing last week against. Hampton. Yeah, I know, but look who they played. Yeah, come well, on it was now. Hampton. I mean, Iowa Hampton, State fans, you can't you can't sleep on Hampton, Jimmy B. Hey, can't, Ricky Mahorn's not playing for Hampton, okay? You can't sleep on the Pirates. Uh, Iowa State did that 20 years ago, and we know how <laughs> yeah, it worked did. out with uh, Steve Murfield getting lifted up and his feet flopping up in the air after that, that upset in the NCAA good. tournament. No, it is different. Yeah. And, and now you and I has put themselves in a spot at 1-2 and two in that just terrible start to the year against Montana where they're going to have to be, beat a big boy. And it doesn't have to be a win against North Dakota State, but they're going to have to beat... Illinois State, they're going to have to beat South Dakota State, one of those other better teams in the MVC football conference to get into it. So in order to do that, uh, what would be at least in terms of the rankings, they're going to have to pull an upset, but it's got to continue. Indiana State, though better than they've been in some past seasons, they're still not very good. So, yeah, fun story. We'll get to see Ryan Boyle out there for Indiana State, but you and I just need to go out there, make it a business trip. And, in fact, they are, Jimmy B. Get this. You and I is going to be flying over – Day of the game. They'll be flying over tomorrow for the game, leaving in the morning, not getting there a day early, go in, business trip, get back on the plane, head home afterwards. You like those travel plans out of the Panthers? I'm I'm not sold on that. Are, are they going to do something similar that the uh, Cubs did that one day where they had to go to D.C., play that one game, and they just all put their uniforms on? Right. Are, are they going to be dressed in their uniform and pads on and just get off the plane and <laughs> put on the spikes and go play? I, I don't know, Trent. I, what if there's what if there's bad weather? Well, then they got to deal with that, and then they yeah. they got to fight their way. Through. Here's the thing, Jim. This is something that you and I used to do all the time. In fact, before Troy Dannon got there as the athletic director, and now David Harris, the AD, but before that, you and I always did this. Under Terry Allen, into the early part of the Mark Farley, that's what they always did. Flew in the day of the game to play the game. It's a budget reason. And in these times, Jim, that has to be a big component because we don't. They're not getting a check from the Big Ten like Iowa is for $55 million for TV revenue. They're getting peanuts. And because of that, the revenue streams are completely different. If you're going to save money doing this, that's the way that it is. Even if it might put you at a competitive disadvantage, it's the reality of the situation when you're a program at the level of you and I. 
How long a flight is that, roughly? <laughs> Any idea? Waterloo to Terry Haute? I have no freaking clue. It can't be. It can't be more than an hour, right? Can't be. Oh, it's got to be longer than that. You think so? Yeah. Terre Haute, Indiana. Yeah. Uh, hour and a half tops. I mean, wouldn't they? I mean, they're not flying commercial, are they? Oh, that would be awesome. Well, if they had to, if they had to fly commercial, and that, and and then change planes in Chicago to get there, right. And they had all their gear on. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> no, it'll be chartered, but it's it's over four hundred miles on a drive. So yeah. I, I don't know how fast does a that's charter plane hour, go? That's it. Well, they're not they're not pedaling. It's a jet. So, yeah. God, this is this isn't Fred Flintstone and the pedal mobile. Uh, it'll take him an hour fifteen. Okay, in the air. That's it. Yeah. That's Bing it. bang boom. Hop in yes. on Waterloo. Jump on down yeah. to Terry Haute. Play the yeah. game. Get a victory, and uh, then get ready for Fly what back. awaits them afterwards. Because next week it gets big for the Panthers. North Dakota State will be coming to town to the Unidome. Coming up on October 6th. Jimmy B, we are out of time. You be good. We'll talk again. What, on Friday, you going to stop by and do your picks? No, I'm going to, I'll do that, but I'll be here tomorrow as well. Okay, all right. Count on me. Count on me. Well, I, I can't really do that. Oh, I know you can't. We'll I plan know, on it. I know. What am I saying? Count on you, no. Plan on it, sure. <laughs> we'll do okay, that. Okay, fair enough. All right, get out of here, you goofball. There's Jimmy B checking in with us as we get the timeout. Coming back with more, taking you up until 6 o'clock tonight. As mentioned, tomorrow, you and I will be off early tomorrow at 5 o'clock with the UNI pregame show with Gary Rima before the 6 o'clock kick with Indiana State and that road trip for the Panthers. Then after the conclusion of that in the postgame show, we'll go right into the Westwood One coverage of Rams and Vikings. We'll get you the second half of that football game, too. A busy one, a lot of play-by-play here on 1700. Quick timeout, back with more in a moment. Trent kind of back with you one final time as we put a cap on things here this afternoon. Well, it is a Wednesday. That is a baseball night in the Condon household. We'll hustle back and get ready for the action this evening. All eyes on the National League Central Brewers and the Cardinals as they wrap things up there. The Brewers off tomorrow. Cardinals will make their way to Chicago to take on the Cubs. The Cubs tonight, it'll be Jose Quintana against Ivanova in the Cubs in the finale against Pittsburgh before tomorrow night. Certainly, that will be at the forefront of things. Some scoreboard watching again with Colorado tonight. Got to do that. Out west, the Dodgers, they play in Arizona. So it's uh, National League Baseball. And speaking of baseball, earlier today, Boston-Baltimore, 19-3, the final. 19-3, the Red Sox with the win. They uh, now have a 61-and-a-half game lead over the Baltimore Orioles, who have been eliminated from playoff consideration. We will be back tomorrow on a big Thursday. You and I football plays here. 6 o'clock start tomorrow against Indiana State in the Missouri Valley Conference opener for the Panthers. After that finishes up, We'll have NFL football here with Westwood One coverage joined in progress with the Rams and the Vikings. A lot of talk on that game coming up tomorrow. Looking forward to that and a whole lot more. We start every day at noon with our local sports talk. Myself and Ken Miller from noon until 2. And Jimmy B and TC on your drive home from 4 until 6 o'clock. Thanks to everybody out there for listening in. 
We'll talk to you tomorrow on 1700.